DW Africa Link Time check, it's exactly 6 p.m. here in Bonn, Germany, the same time as Pretoria, South Africa. Hello and a very warm welcome to DW's Africa Link, where we dig deep into the latest news from Africa and beyond. I'm your host, Josie Mahachi. And Josie Mahachi is with me, George Okachi. Welcome to the show. We are also live on our Facebook page, DW Africa. So drop your comments there, as we are always happy to hear from your side. Here is what's coming up. Fear, anger and outrage greets latest anti-migrant attacks targeting foreign-owned shops in South Africa. If the members of the Operation Tujula are not happy about foreign nationals being given licenses to own small businesses, they must sort it out with uh, the government or with the, the relevant ministry. But what is South Africa's government stance on the migration policies that guide business operations by foreign nationals? There isn't any particular law that deals with the integration of asylum seekers into society in terms of language, in terms of ensuring that when they open businesses, they are taken through the induction process that are required. Stay tuned for the details after the World News in Brief. DW News. I am Buba Jalo. The White House says the United States President Joe Biden and Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu have agreed that aid deliveries into Gaza will continue. Another aid convoy crossed from Egypt in the last few hours, the third in as many days. Israel's military says ground forces launched limited raids into Gaza overnight and that airstrikes targeted Hamas forces gathering to resist Israel's expected ground invasion. In Rafah in southern Gaza, many homes were also hit by Israeli strikes, according to these residents. Ten houses were destroyed, with children between two and five years old. Were they fighters? If they're looking for fighters, they're on the borders, not in safe zones. The spokesperson for the Israeli Defense Forces, Brigadier General Daniel Hagari, says the IDF is hitting targets connected to Hamas terrorists and other militant groups. To the residents of Gaza City and north of Gaza City, you see that we intensified our attacks and we will continue acting like that. So move south. France says it has completed the withdrawal of troops from a northern base in Niger as part of a planned departure from the West African country. Nearly 200 troops, 28 trucks and two dozen armored vehicles left the Kuala military base which has been handed to Niger, according to the junta. Meanwhile, the European Union on Monday took a legal step towards imposing sanctions on the military junta that took power in a coup in July. The news on Africa Link is brought to you by DW, Germany's international public broadcaster. Moscow has denied any involvement in the damage to the gas pipeline under the Baltic Sea between Finland and Estonia. Kremlin spokesman Dmitry Peskov on Monday rebutted comments made by Latvian President Edgar Rinkevics. Rinkevics for um, Rinkovics um, called for the Baltic Sea to be close to the Russian ships if Moscow were proven to be responsible for the damage to the pipeline. Peskov stated that such threats, regardless of their source, are unacceptable to Russia. At least 15 people have been killed and 100 injured in Bangladesh after two trains collided on Monday. Officials say they fear the death toll will rise.
The crash in the eastern city of Bayrab saw a freight train smash into a passenger train traveling in the opposite direction, derailing two passenger carriages. Nigerian security personnel have arrested more than 70 young people after accusing them of organizing a gay wedding in northeastern Gombe State, a security spokesperson said on Monday. Same-sex marriage is illegal in Nigeria under a 2014 law and Gombe State is also one of the majority Muslim northern states where Islamic Sharia law runs parallel to the federal and state justice system. And that wraps up today's news. Thank you for listening. I am Boba Jalo. Boba Jalo, many thanks from Studio B. Let's now proceed from Studio A. And uh, thank you, our listener, for sticking with us on the program. My name is uh, George Okachian, uh, seated on my left. It's me, Josie Mahachi. We welcome all of you, our listeners, on our Facebook page, DW Africa. And also all of you listening to us through our partner stations across the continent. Lambert, Kevin, we see you. Vumani Koza, you are listening to us from South Africa. Thank you so much for joining us. David Chamba. we appreciate you all. And Vumani Koza, speak about South Africa. That is where we're starting the show from. And foreign nationals running tax shops in South Africa have found themselves trapped between fear and anger following anti-migrant attacks over the weekend. The attacks were orchestrated by Operation Dudula, a well-known anti-migrant group. Now, the group aims to have all foreign-run spaza shops shut down, alleging that these shops sell fake and expired food products. For more on this, Tusokumalo delves into the surgeons of xenophobic sentiment. Most general dealer tax shops, commonly referred to as spaza shops, have remained closed in various townships across South Africa. This closure comes after a weekend-long raid by Operation Dudula, which specifically targeted foreign-owned spaza shops. The anti-migrant group claims that these shops are responsible for selling unsafe and expired food products. One foreign shop owner from Deep Kloof, Soweto, who chose not to disclose his name, had numerous items removed from his shelves because they allegedly lacked expiry date information on the packaging. Zimbabwe National Victor Matutu decried the random targeting of foreign-owned spaza shops as unfair. If the members of the Operation Tutula are not happy about foreign nationals being given licenses to own small businesses, they must sort it out with uh, the government or with the, the relevant ministry. At the centre of this controversy are two tragic incidents in which four children lost their lives after allegedly consuming snacks purchased from spaza shops owned by foreign nationals. While acknowledging that they lack regulatory authority to conduct such raids at the shops, Operation Dudula members claim that the responsible authorities are complacent. Tabongayo serves as the outfit's national coordinator. The purpose, obviously, is to save the community from buying poisonous food uh, from these other shops. And what we have achieved today, we managed to get some of the food that were expired and 
includes the nappies, includes the pets for women. Ngayo informed a Spaza shop owner that even foreign nationals with fully compliant shops and products must close their shops and depart. We are not allowed to own a Spaza shop. Spaza shop are only so meaning this Spaza shop it must be owned by Spaza. So we are given two days to vacate. President Cyril Ramaphosa's government is yet to condemn these latest actions. Last week, Johannesburg Metro Police and city officials conducted similar raids and inspections on foreign-owned spaza shops in Soweto. Zwanele Mani, a parliamentarian who accompanied them, called for the closure of all foreign-owned spaza shops across the country. We can't have a situation like that. They're poison. Uh, so we, we, we really need to shut this thing down and we need to go to where they actually manufacture, shut these operations down once and for all. Foreign nationals operating these businesses are now fearful for their safety, livelihoods and the future of their enterprises. Tuzo Kumalo with that report. Many thanks, Tuzo. Mm-hmm. Now, the raid by Operation Dudula against foreign-owned shops in South Africa has raised concerns of xenophobia, just as we heard in that report. Mm. Needless to emphasize that xenophobia is the irrational fear, hatred or prejudice against people from other countries or different cultural backgrounds. And that's why many critics argue that attacking foreign shop owners based on their nationality rather than addressing concerns about food safety and expired products, it's in itself xenophobic, Josie. I've just spoken to Dr. Vusumizi Sibanda, the president of African Diaspora Forum, and he begins by expressing his concerns over the incident. Yeah, well, look, the issue is basically that we are concerned about, you know, the idea, the, the fact that this is basically trying to stroke and bring in more xenophobic attacks because um, the leader of Operation Dutula has basically gone out to say, look, we're going to close all foreign nationals from having shops. You know, there is a constitution in South Africa which currently is, 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 is worth it, is, is possible to defend in a court of law up until such time that maybe these xenophobic sentiments are seen in the constitutional court. Operation Dudula claims that four children allegedly lost their lives after consuming snacks from foreign-owned spaza shops. Have these incidents been investigated? And if so, what are the findings? At the moment, there is no outcome yet. We are also very curious, you know, to get uh, the outcome, to know what exactly killed the children. But we know that there were results that came out from west, uh, the western area of a child who died, and they found out it was red poison, which means that probably a shop owner had sprayed some red poison to try and kill rats, and ultimately it found its way accidentally into the food. So in this particular case, we are keen to find out what is the case with um, the two children that passed on in Soweto. But Dr. Sibanda, have there been any efforts to address concerns about the safety and quality of the products sold in spaza shops? whether foreign-owned or not, to ensure consumer safety? Well, look, the problem is that um, the, the authorities that are supposed to be doing that, they only do that and mainly against foreign nationals when there is, you know, these you know, for big spurs. But under normal circumstances, they, they, they don't really do their work. And that is where the concern is. Because right now, even in the case that I'm talking about, you will notice that there is, an, uh, there is then this idea that foreign nationals are the, shops are the ones that are being closed instead of looking at all shops to see if they comply, you know, with the law. So unfortunately, the issues of compliance are a big problem in South Africa. So this is criminal, you know, uh, activities that, you know, a lot of shop owners are found to be 
involved in because they don't want to lose, you know, their cells because the goods have expired and then they recycle and sell them. But then ultimately it appears like people want to amplify it as if it's a crime that is committed only by migrants, which is not true. Well, this is not the first time we are witnessing such xenophobic sentiment. What is South Africa's government stance regarding immigration policies and the operation of small businesses by foreign nationals? There isn't any particular law that deals with the integration of asylum seekers into society in terms of language, in terms of ensuring that when they open businesses, they are taken through the induction process that are required. So clearly there isn't, but unfortunately uh, it is the foreign national who is trying to survive who then gets you know, blamed for all these things. So are there any discussions or efforts underway to find a peaceful resolution to this situation, Dr. Sibanda? Well, they always are because, look, the issue is organizations like the ones we work for, the African Diaspora Global Network, the African Diaspora Forum, COMSA and so forth, we're always trying to find a means to protect the interests of the asylum seekers and migrants in South Africa and even including in the rough situation. So basically what we have done is we keep on pushing to have legislation that is not exclusionary and to make sure that you know, if there is legislation that requires to address that particular, you know, um, uh, sector of the community, you know, we, we can deal with it. Dr. Vosumu Zisibanda is the president of African Diaspora Forum and, of course, uh, articulating himself on the incident there, Josie, that mm. many are claiming is bordering xenophobia. And, of course, people commenting on our Facebook page as well. People are commenting. We have this comment from Derek who says, I think most of the people in South Africa are just lazy. That is not good. What if other countries also started chasing them out? Mm-hmm. BJ, Mane, you're saying history kept repeating itself. The white people did everything to you South Africans. Now, just see you are doing the same to your fellow blacks out there. They are your brothers and sisters. And Mandizo Nomai says, please not again. Indeed, a leopard can't change its spot. Mm-hmm. And we have M. M. Kebo Hongwa, you saying, great mission, but very, very bad way of doing it. And Sikona Makosanzima, that must be a South African, that's mm-hmm. a South African name, says DW Africa illegal immigrants have no rights at all to sell their expired products, especially food as we've been seeing, these products are coming from Bangladesh, India, China. As we speak, China food products has been banned in U.S. And of course, uh, keep those comments coming because uh, this is Africa Link. Thanks for staying with us. And in case you're just joining us, this is DW's Africa Link coming to you live from our studio here in Bonn, Germany. My name is Josie Mahachi. And my name is George Okachi. Welcome to all of you listening to us through our Facebook page, DW Africa. And of course, we already have uh, Michael, Caterino, Mbeng, Aaron. Josie, can you see some of them so that we can just comment and uh, acknowledge them? Yeah, Vumani Koza. Oh my God, okay. Our social radio <laughs> coordinator there, Okeri, is doing a great job. So most of your names are like swallowed in her responses. But thank you so much to everybody who's tuned in to the show. Now, coming up, Human Rights Organization speaks on the ongoing violations in Sudan as defense of Sudanese war crime suspect begins. The widespread violations 
that are being committed as part of uh, the most recent conflict, impunity for abuses committed in the past has fueled uh, continued abuses today. That story will be back in detail, but for now we head to Democratic Republic of Congo. With two months to go before the presidential election in the country, the populations of the Kwamuth ter- territories in the province of Maindombe, Masisi and Rutsuru in North Kivu remain uncertain about their participation in this democratic process. As our reporter and correspondent in Goma, Zanem Neti Zaidi, reports, the hopes of the Congolese in the East for eradication of insecurity in the areas occupied by M23 rebels before December are beginning to fade, while the leaders of the Independent National Election Commission remain confident. DW's Okeri Ngushina, though, gives us more. Conducting elections in the territories of Ruchuru and Masisi next December is becoming more and more impossible, according to Jacques Sincera, a civil society player in North Kivu. The current situation will no longer allow elections to take place in Masisi and Rutshuru, as we are just one month away from the launch of the electoral campaign. The enrollment of voters alone should take a month, but we also think that it will take at least a month to sweep the areas occupied by the terrorists. Already, if Rutshuru can hope to hold elections, we think it will be in March, and the government needs to be reassured that the peace has returned to the whole of these two territories. The Independent National Electoral Commission, through its communication director Jean-Baptiste Itipo, says it is preparing to launch the registration process in these two territories and remain optimistic that the climate of peace will be restored in these areas before December. Seni is ready to start enrollment. It is ready to go everywhere, but if security conditions remain the same, we won't be able to deploy in the field. As Seni has said on a number of occasions, we are watching how the situation develops. We all want the country to be peaceful and for everyone to take part in the elections. According to Jedediah Mabella, a social political analyst, Everyone's participation in the electoral process in December remains the only duty that the current government must fulfill in order to reassure the legitimacy of the future leaders of the national institutions. It's important for national unity that the territories of Ruchuru and Masisi are not left out, because the feeling of exclusion can reinforce and even provoke ceasefire, even though we're talking about territories plagued by insecurity. But also the legitimacy of the leaders of national institutions also depends on the participation of all Congolese. The territories of Ruchuru and Masisi have not been involved in any electoral process, be it voter registration or even the presentation of candidates for the next legislature. Thanks, okay, Ringo Ginado, for narrating that report by Zanep Neti Zaidi. Now we have some comments on that story, George. Yeah, straight to your comments. And Keen Small, you're saying dialogue is the only way forward in this particular crisis. And Dan Orao is asking a million-dollar question. What's wrong with DRC? Always 
fighting. Now, Patrick Sayron, you're saying you think the Russians need to help Congo just like they did in the Central African Republic. Tell you what, we like listening and, uh, you know, sampling some of your comments along the show because this is the Liberty Hall where we respect all uh, the sentiments that come through. And let's proceed now and we go back to the story on Sudan, Josie. After months of civil war and the international community struggling to coordinate a unified effort to broker peace, Sudanese civilians bear the brunt of the fighting. Yes, George. And at the end of this week, the defense of the accused Abdel al-Rahman will begin its arguments before the International Criminal Court. The procedure is important for the current situation in Sudan. With more on this, here is DW's Crispin Mwakidel. Ali Mohamed Ali Abd al-Rahman will stand trial before the International Criminal Court, ICC, in The Hague for a total of 31 cases of war crimes and crimes against humanity. Among them are targeted attacks on civilians, rape and mass killings. According to the indictment, he committed these crimes as a senior leader of the Janjaweed militia in Darfur, from August 2003 until at least April 2004. The Janjaweed were a militia that carried out violence against African tribes and rebel groups on the side of the government during the armed conflict in Darfur. At the start of the trial, Ali Mohammed Ali Abd al-Rahman, who is also said to be known by the fighting name Ali Kushayb, protested his innocence. According to the United Nations figures from 2008, this conflict claimed the lives of 300,000 people, this militia later gave rise to the so-called Rapid Support Forces, RSF. Elise Kepler of the Human Rights Watch organization says the impunity of previous human rights violations is also a reason for the ongoing violations. Well, I think in many ways when we look at uh, the situation now in Sudan and the widespread violations that are being committed as part of uh, the most recent conflict, we see that impunity for abuses committed in the past, um, in particular in Darfur, has fueled uh, continued abuses today. Chief Prosecutor Karim Khan made it clear in his opening statement that he considered the present case to be clear-cut. Witness after witness had seen, heard and recognized the defendant. Witness after witness had also known Abd al-Rahman from before. During the trial, the chief prosecutor called some 56 witnesses in court. A total of 600 victims are admitted at the trial. Elise Kepler explains. But as you can imagine, it is a drop in the bucket and it is very, um, it's been a very long time. So it's, it's hugely important and we know the victims um, have campaigned to see this uh, and are uh, involved in this case. But the reality is, is that impunity has been a major force in Sudan and is fueling, is fueling abuses we see today. But the chief prosecutor is not only concerned with the situation in Sudan some 20 years ago, but also with the situation today. Kepler emphasizes how important these procedures is also for the victims of the alleged crimes. This is a rare instance where justice is going forward. Um, Khartoum blocked. Uh, the surrender of fugitives before, and the UN Security Council really did not step up to insist on that cooperation to see the the fugitives, uh, including Bashir, transferred to the court. Uh, those, when there was the change in power, those uh, suspects were in custody, uh, facing some sort of domestic proceedings. Uh, unfortunately, we understand uh, that I believe most of those fugitives are no longer in custody. Um, there remains an absolute need for them to be transferred to face the charges. 
In total, the International Criminal Court has opened six cases and issued seven arrest warrants. So far, the cases of defendant Abd al-Rahman is the only one that has reached trial. Abd al-Rahman had voluntarily surrendered in June 2020. Most of the other defendants have not yet been extradited to the court. The most prominent among them is probably Sudan's former strongman Omar al-Bashir, who has been in custody in Sudan in the interim. Crispin Mwakideu, many thanks for that. Africa Link Sport There you have it and we can never end without you know a <laughs> dose of sports and, and Josie it has been a very busy weekend in the world of sports from rugby to cricket English Premier League, Bundesliga, Josie, there is mm-hmm. no way you can say you didn't watch any of this. <laughs> First, tell me which of the sport did you watch? Okay, you've got it right, George. I became Southern African patriotic this weekend. It, I was glued to the rugby match. Sometimes the... you, sh- you should just hide where you come from, Josie. <laughs> I you, won't. Want, you want it to be very obvious. <laughs> it's, you know what? This, this story actually takes me to our top story. Yes. of today, yeah. which is this xenophobia happening in South Africa. I, I happen to come from Zimbabwe. Exactly. Zimbabweans are most of the ones also being attacked in yeah, South target, Africa. Targeted, yeah. But during this weekend, we we're all one. We were all like South, South Africans, you know. Sport unites. Sport unites. And I wish the world can just, I mean, live in a sporty world. Yeah, and true. remove every other thing. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> the rugby match with the Springboks, well, I was really like biting my nails because that was a tense one. Mm-hmm. Anyway, for more on this, we have our sports guru in the department, Kai Nebe. He starts by telling us on the wave of joy in South Africa. Yeah, big, big weekend. Of course, it's the World Cup for both sporting codes. Of course, with the rugby, we're now at the final stage of the tournament. And uh, over the weekend, there was, of course, the semifinals, uh, the All Blacks of New Zealand beating Argentina. And then the big one, South Africa versus England. That was a very, very tight uh, mm-hmm. affair with, in- with England leading the match for basically the whole match until the last two minutes before South Africa were able to somehow pull out a victory and run out 16-15 winners. It was extremely tense, but the Springboks now have the opportunity to win their record fourth World Cup against New Zealand uh, next weekend. It was, of course, a very tight affair, and unfortunately for England, they were on the wrong side, but they will play in the third-place playoff against Argentina. Um, Of course, at the same time, we've also got the Cricket World Cup, and on the same Saturday, England also played South Africa. Unfortunately for England, they also lost that much South Africa, winning quite convincingly in that one with a huge scoreline that has really boosted their run rate. Talking about the Springboks next weekend, Kai, I know that everybody hopes that they will make it. Let's see what happens because that was just a sheer of luck from my own point of view. Now fill us on some of the highlights with the English Premier League. Yeah, biggest match of the weekend was probably the Arsenal versus Chelsea match. This game uh, has actually not been such a big fixture because Chelsea have battled over the last two seasons, but this game really lived up to its billing. Chelsea dominated for large periods of the match and were actually 2-0 up until the latter stages of the game when Arsenal somehow out of nothing managed to make this a 2-2 game and and went out as a draw. In other results, Liverpool ran out 2-0 winners in their match. Um, Manchester City also got the win and the table hasn't changed that much. Now to Bundesliga. Any surprises? What's happening? 
Not many big surprises in the Bundesliga either, but some very unfortunate news for Sehu Jirasi of Guinea. He's the Bundesliga top scorer for uh, Stuttgart. He's already scored 14 goals in just eight appearances, and he scored again on the weekend in their win over Union Berlin. However, he went off with an, a leg injury, and it looks like he will have to spend a few weeks on the sidelines, which is, which is a huge blow for him personally because he's playing so well, but also for uh, Stuttgart, who relied on him to be second in the Bundesliga at this stage. Bayern, of course, won as well. Uh, Dortmund won as one two, mm. and uh, Leverkusen remain uh, firmly at the top of the Bundesliga. Now, before I let you go, Kai, African Football League, many are looking forward to this. What can we anticipate? Well, the African Football League is a very new concept. It's actually a version of the Super League uh, or African football. As, and that's led some commentators to saying this, is, the, the, this tournament is kind of like an experiment for FIFA and world football at stage. Basically, we've got um, uh, eight of Africa's best-ranked and best-known teams playing in a knockout stage tournament over two legs. They're teams like Mamelodi Sundowns uh, from South Africa, Petra Dula. Petro de Luanda from Angola in Yimba of Nigeria, of course. And uh, over the weekend, saw wins for Widad. We saw wins for Mamalodi Sundowns. Al-Akhli and Simba played to a 2-2 draw. These matches are played again on this, this coming weekend, and then they move into the semi-final stage. The thing is that this tournament has gained controversy because there are a lot of competing competitions across continent. So this is very much of an experimental tournament, even though there's a lot of prize money behind it. But we'll see how it goes, Josie. Indeed, we'll see how it goes. That was Kai Nebe giving us some dose of spots. And of course, many reactions to South Africa's <laughs> performance. Uh, I'll just sample one from uh, Japala Mukel. We say, congratulations, we must retain our title. Okay, there were so many comments there. Thank you so much for tuning in to the program. Unfortunately, that's all we have time for today. Until tomorrow, I'm your host as always, Josie Mahachi. And I'm George Okachi. DW Mid for Minds.